I don't know about you, but um, I actually got chills during the time that we were singing our worship songs. And it kind of started with the worship team, so thank you for leading us. But then when we sang a cappella, one of the greatest things about sitting in front is I got to hear all of your voices. And I just had this sense that God was incredibly well-pleased with the worship that we brought him. So I praise God for Cornerstone Church and for all of you. All right, I'm Pastor Bill, and um, I get to, um, to be one of the pastors here. All right, for this morning, I want to start with this. When you pick up your cell phone and it doesn't work, what do you do? The what? Restart it. Well, yeah, you, you pick it up, and you, first your heart goes, <gasps> but then you go find the charger, right? And you plug it in just in case maybe, and, and if you plug it in, it doesn't quite work. You jiggle the, the charger plug, maybe take it to another plug. What do you do when that doesn't work? <laughs> Cry. <laughs> All right. You're helping me a lot right here. Thank you. Um, go find a computer, <laughs> and you Google why won't my phone turn on? And you have like seven exclamation points, right? And you read all that and you try to figure it out. And if it still doesn't work, what do you do next? I'm pretty sure you don't go, ah, oh well, no problem. I'll just go to the gym. Partly because most of you can't even find your way to the gym without your phone, all right? So after the Google thing, I don't know about you, but now I'm starting to get a little bit um, panicked. So I will have to call a friend who might know more about it to help me. But I can't use my phone, so I have to use Marla's phone. And Marla's nervous about letting me use her phone because I've already broken mine. <laughs> so you call a friend. Try to, if that doesn't work, then we probably are on our way to the phone store. On the way to the phone store, I'm thinking a couple things. I'm thinking, dear God, let it be an easy fix. And then I'm thinking, I wish I'd backed up my contacts like the geeks told me to. And then I get to the, the, the phone store, and I already know when I walk in there that if it's dead completely, even if I don't have the money, I will spend what it takes to get a new phone. Because we cannot imagine being beyond our, our arm's reach. We can't imagine not having a phone that we can reach out and grab 24-7. Right? What if we were as committed to troubleshoot our prayers as we are to troubleshoot our phones when they don't work? What if when our prayers died or are dying or our prayer life has been dying, what if we were as motivated to troubleshoot our prayer lives as we are our Samsungs and our iPhones? What might change in the world? If we, just the followers of Jesus, I'm not talking about people outside the kingdom, what might be different in us and what might we change in the world if we realize that the truth is our prayers matter far more than our phones? There's far greater power we have in the world with our prayers than most of us have imagined. So there's a, the greatest preacher of the fourth century. So going back a ways, John Chrysostom, said this, said, the power of prayer has subdued the strength of fire. It has bridled the rage of lions, hushed anarchy to rest, extinguished wars, 
appeased the elements, expelled demons, burst the chains of death, expanded the gates of heaven, assuaged diseases, repelled floods, rescued cities from destruction, stayed the sun in its course, and arrested the progress of the thunderbolt. He says, prayer is an all-sufficient covering, a treasure undiminished, a mine which is never exhausted, a sky unobscured by clouds, a heaven unruffled by the storm. Prayer, he says, is the root the fountain, and the mother of a thousand blessings. I'm pretty sure you could never write that about your phone. And so a um, great preacher of the 20th century said, when a person is speaking to God, they are at their very highest and best. Prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. And prayer is at the same time the ultimate test of a person's true spiritual condition. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christians so much as our prayer lives. Prayer is supposed to. I mean, why is it that we, we somehow think that prayer is like shooting blanks of a starter pistol? That it just makes a lot of noise but doesn't do anything. Prayer is supposed to give us great power to live. It's supposed to give us great confidence in the things that we, we, we hear from the Lord that we are called to do. Prayer is supposed to give us great comfort when we are broken and struggling. It's supposed to give us great communion with God. Why is it that we let our prayer lives limp along without paying attention to them? And not just days, but there are times where we go weeks without attending to our prayers. And those weeks can turn into, the month, into months, and those months can turn into years. And we end up living lives that are far below what Jesus dreams for us to live. And so today we come to the portion in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus teaches us how to pray, called the Lord's Prayer. And the interesting thing about the Lord's Prayer, how many of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer? When you were kids, most of you probably did if you grew up in the church. All right, here's the interesting thing about um, having memorized the Lord's Prayer. I don't think that the reason to memorize the Lord's Prayer is so that you can recite the Lord's Prayer. It's not a bad thing, but I don't think God or Jesus intended when he taught on the Lord's Prayer for us to recite it the way we do. I think what Jesus intended to do was to give us a template for powerful prayer. Not something to recite, but a template where he taught us what are the ingredients that need to be there in our prayer lives. So that when our prayer lives or our prayers aren't working, we can go back to the template and say, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I missing this? Am I doing this? The purpose of the Lord's Prayer isn't to be recited alone, although reciting it is great. But reciting it is simply supposed to remind us that this is the template of powerful prayer that Jesus has given us. So over the centuries, spiritual leaders have agreed that we cannot easily err in prayer when we have the pattern of the Lord's Prayer before us. John Calvin said we ought to examine our prayers by this prayer. So in Matthew chapter um, 6, in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus kind of gives kind of a preamble that sort of sets the stage for him then talking about the Lord's Prayer itself. And I want to go over those verses very quickly because they, they kind of ground us in what prayer is supposed to be. So Matthew 6, 
Verses um, 5 and 6, when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Sometimes the reason our prayers stop working is because we're praying them more for people to hear and people to see than for God to hear and see. And prayer that is for people is always powerless prayer. It just is. We're supposed to have, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to have something deep within us, a, what, what Paul calls a hidden life with Christ in God. We're supposed to have, behind what we present to the world, we're supposed to have an undergirding, a strength that comes from a secret prayer life in our prayer closets. After a while, you start to figure out when you meet Christians, you figure out which of them just have the the presentation and nothing behind it. And then you come across Christians who, they have the presentation, you realize there is a deep connection and union with God that undergirds who this person is. Jesus says powerless prayers are prayers that are, have any other motive other than to go into our closets and pray to be alone with God. If you want powerful prayers that change you and change the world, develop a prayer life where you pray in secret. And your Father in heaven who sees what's done in secret will absolutely reward that. The next two verses, Jesus gives us something else to, um, to think about. And when you pray, do not heap up empty empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you say it. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I go, if God already knows what I need, why do I bother telling him? I'm pretty sure that that's exactly what Jesus wants us to ask. Because if prayer isn't about telling God stuff, it must be about something else, right? And what it turns out is prayer is not informational. Prayer is not about telling God stuff he needs to know. Neither is prayer transactional, telling stuff, God stuff he needs to know so he'll do stuff for us. Prayer, Christian prayer that Jesus teaches is always relational. Not informational. God doesn't need to hear you talk. All right? It's not informational. It's not transactional. It's relational. And so Augustine commented that he came to the conclusion that we pray the most when we say the least. And we pray the least when we say the most. So it's not the words that do this. It's the relationship with God that Jesus is after. And so we come to the Lord's Prayer proper. And in just five verses, Jesus gives us a template, a divine template for powerful prayers. And so I want to walk through each of the phrases, but I want to change the rhythm of the sermon today a little bit, the rest of the sermon. What we're going to do is we're going to look at a phrase, and I'm just going to say two or three, four sentences about it. And then I'm going to give you an experiential, uh, something to do with that phrase. All right. Some of them will be in solo where I'll just say, hey, meditate on that phrase. And then others, there are a couple of times where I'll, I'll ask you to pair up with somebody else. 
And then I might ask you to huddle with three or four other people. Because as I was going through the Lord's Prayer this week, I thought, I don't really want to talk about the Lord's Prayer. I'd really rather experience the Lord's Prayer. I'm pretty sure that we don't learn to pray by talking about praying. Pretty sure we learn more about praying by experiencing our prayers. So, the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in heaven. Jesus starts out this template for prayer by causing us to think of who it is to whom we are praying. And we're used to it. I mean, as Christians, we are so familiar with God as our Father. But you've got to realize that that is not common. It wasn't common in Jesus' day, and it's not common among world religions. All right? This idea of God as Father was unique to Jesus. The Romans and the Greeks, I mean, the Romans didn't think that Jove would ever care about them. You know, Zeus could do whatever he wanted in, according to the Greeks, and then everybody else had to pay for what he did. Even the Jews, when the Jews talked about God, they used these elevated, distant, high terms, Elohim, Most High God, Almighty, Yahweh. Those were all very separate and distant. And then Jesus comes, the very Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and he says, when you pray, know that you are praying to your Father who is in heaven. And he goes beyond that. He doesn't just talk about our Father with that form. He, says, he talks about our Abba, our Daddy in heaven. So Martin Luther commented once, he said that our entire lives would be changed if we just understood the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. So I want to give you a, an experiential. This is solo right where you are, I want to encourage you to close your eyes and meditate on what it means that you pray to your father, your dad in heaven, who loves you completely and fully. And I'll call you back in just about um, a minute and a half to two minutes. So meditate on our father who is in heaven. Father in heaven, help us to realize what it means that we can pray to you like that. You are almighty and great and glorious, the king of the universe, the creator of the universe. And you love us 
perfectly and completely as our dad. Help us to enter prayer daily in our lives with that realization that your love is so great. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So John writes in 1 John, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we would be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love. Second phrase in the Lord's Prayer is, Honored be your name. If you memorize in the Old it's hallowed be thy name. Honored be your name. I worry that too often in our lives, we know we should pray, but we either got up late or we're in a rush. And so as we are grabbing what we need to go out the door, we end up praying and saying, Dear God, thank you for taking care of me and, and be with me and help me get everything I need to get done today and help me get, I'm really late and I got to go. I'll try to catch up later. Bye. Amen. I'm worried that too often we charge into the throne room of God in an incredible rush and they'll go running out before God's had any chance to talk to us. And so the second ingredient in the template that Jesus gives us for prayer is that we would stop and intentionally express our passion for God's glory. Honored be your name. Powerful prayers have a passion for the glory of God. And they don't rush into God and then rush away from God, but they stop and commit to give glory and honor to God in all things. So that we say when we pray, as soon as we say our Father in heaven, we say something like, Father, I'm committed for your fame to be great in our world. I'm committed for you to be honored the way that you deserve to be honored on earth, even as it is in heaven. So um, this experiential, I'd like you to pair up. And by the way, if, if you don't want to if you, you process all this stuff better individually and solo, just take notes on your phone. Meditate the same thing as take notes, okay? So you don't have to do this, but I want to encourage you. And, and there's a reason, which I'll explain to you in a few moments, for why I'm encouraging you to do some of these things together. I want to encourage you to pair up with one person, so there'll be two of you. And in two minutes, just brainstorm as many ways as you can to honor God with your life. Don't overthink it, just brainstorm as many ways as you can. And then after like maybe a minute and 45 seconds... Pray together that you will actually do some of those. Got that? All right, that's your experiential. Pair up with somebody, and you only get two minutes, so I'll call you back shortly. On your mark, set, go.
Do you start to see how when we follow the template, our prayers start to become more significant? The next phrase of the Lord's Prayer is, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Two parts of this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, of this template. The first is, in order for us to pray, your kingdom come, it absolutely means we also have to pray, my kingdom go. Your kingdom come, my kingdom go. Jesus wants a part of our prayers to give up thinking that the world is supposed to meet our expectations and the world is supposed to to bend to what we want. When we pray, your kingdom come, We always have to pray, my kingdom go. Powerful prayer always submits, first, to the will of God. But second, when we pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it draws us outside of our own personal experience because we start praying for God's will in the earth. And you know how messed up our world is. We are getting barraged with with just evil Just, I mean, Satan loves to kill, maim, and destroy. And so we saw a black man with his hand lying on the ground with his arms up in the air this week, shot by a police officer. And he asked him, why did you shoot me? And the police officer said, I don't know. The bombing in Kabul yesterday, the shooting in Munich on Friday, the world's a mess. This part of the Lord's Prayer, we start by praying, your kingdom come, my, my kingdom go. And then we move to intercede for God's will to be done through current events in the world around us. Jesus' template of prayer never leaves the world a mess. This is where we address it. So this experiential is for a huddle. It can be two, three, four people, but probably four is a, a good number. If you get more than that, you won't have enough time to share. And I'd just like you to, the first thing you do when you huddle up is, I mean, find out who the names of these other people are around you if you don't know them, and just go around and pray. Your kingdom come, my, will, my kingdom go. And then pray. Would you fervently pray for the current events that are going on, have gone on this last week, and pray for God's will to be done on the earth? I'm going to give you just a little bit more time, but not a lot of time. You have about four minutes. All right? So go ahead and huddle up in groups of um, no more than four.
All right, let's start to come back together. The next phrase in the Lord's Prayer is the first one that actually addresses us. It's kind of interesting. Um, Give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever wondered whether um, you really ought to bother God with the little details of your life? You ever thought, you know, God's got way too many more important things to do. I don't need to give him my stuff. Um, Let me put that to rest. Because your issues are never going to overwhelm the greatness of God. Throughout the scriptures, God regularly says, give me all your cares because I care for you. Part of what it is for him to be the almighty God of the universe is he's never going to be overwhelmed. As a matter of fact, the astounding thing is that he loves us all individually enough that he keeps track of all the things going on in our lives. Weirdly, he knows the number of hairs on our heads. All right? So for people like Bo, that's easier. But for most of the rest of you, that means God knows every detail in your life, right? And he's not overwhelmed. Instead, God loves to respond to your cares. That's the kind of Father in heaven that we have. Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. What that means is that this is a daily prayer. Powerful prayers are daily prayers for our daily needs. Which means that daily we come before God and say, here's what I need. Daily we receive from God. Daily we express our dependence on God. Daily we express our gratitude to God. The template of the Lord's Prayer is a daily prayer, not just something we do every once in a while, certainly not, no longer just something we recite, but this template that Jesus gives us is for daily prayer for daily needs. But there's something else about the Lord's Prayer, which is, this is a good place to bring it in, but it's throughout the Lord's Prayer. Have you ever noticed that the word I and the word me doesn't show up in the Lord's Prayer? Never is the Lord's Prayer about I or me. It's always us and we and our, our Father in heaven. Forgive us our sins. The Lord's Prayer, I mean, it's great to use it in our personal devotional life, but the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for a community of faith. It's a prayer that we pray together and we pray for one another. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, I don't think it's supposed to be give me today my daily bread and in Jesus' name, amen. Certainly can start there. Lord, here's what I need from you today. But we haven't prayed this phrase or this element of the template until we also pray for others to have their daily needs met. Those who are hungry, that they would have their daily food, their daily bread. Those who are, are marginalized, that they would have justice, that those who are unloved, that they would be loved. Part of this request, too often we've made this one just personal between me and God. I don't think we can do that when we look at the Lord's Prayer. And this is one of the reasons why I'm having us pray together. I mean, I could have done all solo stuff, or I could have said, go home and do it in your prayer closet. But the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of a community. 
So, this experiential, however, is solo. I'm going to ask you to, um, to number one, because I don't know how you do this really well with a group of people. What do you need from God today? What's the most important thing that you need? And just lift that up to God and ask him to meet that need. Knowing he already knows what it is, so it's probably more about you figuring out what it is than God. So, start this solo experiential. What do you need from God today? And ask him for it. And then go on to the second part and intercede for others. Friends, family, our church, the city of Boston, people intercede that others would have their daily needs met. So this is going to be between two and three minutes. So break um, and do your solo exercise now. Let's come back. I don't know about you, but I was actually surprised by how much God's already meeting my daily needs. Ended up praising him for so much. Um, That exercise of figuring out what we need from God and asking him is a great spiritual exercise because Jesus says we have not because we ask not. Um, The next phrase in the Lord's Prayer, there are only two more phrases. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Whether you memorize the Lord's Prayer with trespasses or debts and debtors, it means the same thing. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This petition of the Lord's Prayer is about clean living and clean relationships. Clean living is when I sin, I confess. And this should be, unless you've gotten to the point where you don't sin in a day, this should be something you do every day. I try 
as soon as I can after I sin to confess it as immediately as possible? Jesus says at least once a day we should be confessing our sins to God, which means taking the time to think about what has happened in the last 24 hours of our lives because it's the powerful prayers, James says, powerful prayers are on the part of those who are righteous. Power in our prayers to transform ourselves, to transform our community, to transform the world is built on the foundation of personal holiness. And one of the things I have to ask myself when my prayers are not working is, have I been, been sitting and partaking of the table of the world so much that it's dulled my appetite and thirst for clean living, for holiness? So Jesus calls us to confess our sins. And when we do that, I don't think we'll escape this, this welling up gratitude that Jesus loved us enough to pay our debt on the cross so that we can be forgiven. And so I encourage you to memorize 1 John 1.9. I memorized it years ago because I needed it so badly. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. The only thing we need to do to get rid of our shame to get rid of our impurity is confess and receive from God because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first part is clean living. Second part is clean relationships. And we tend to think that we can have a vibrant spiritual life with God just between God and us and it doesn't have to involve the people around us. But that's absolutely not true. So much so that Jesus put an addendum on the Lord's Prayer to make sure that we got this. Here's what Jesus said in his addendum. He said, if you, verses 14 and 15, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Sounds great, right? Until he gets this part. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So, if we want to receive grace fully, we have to give grace fully. If we want to be fully forgiven and purified from all unrighteousness, we have to fully forgive those who have wounded us, those who have sinned against us. And you see how, once again, God doesn't allow us to have this individualistic spiritual life. Our spiritual life is always in community with the people that we know and in community with the Trinity. So in this, um, this um, experiential, again, this is a solo experiential, I want to encourage you, confess any sins that you know need to be confessed. And I've shared this with you before. Don't confess sins you've already confessed because they're already forgiven, okay? This is for you to confess sins that, that you've committed and you have not yet confessed. Just simply acknowledge them. Ask Jesus for his forgiveness. And then the second part of this experience, and I really want you to get to the second part, so I'm going to kind of clue you when we're halfway through. I want you to think of who has sinned against you that you need to forgive fully so that you can also be fully forgiven. So again, it's only going to be two or three minutes. I'll let you know partway through so you can transition to think of who you need to forgive. So go ahead and close your eyes and come before the Lord here.
right now transition to think of who you need to forgive and ask Jesus for the spiritual strength to forgive them fully. final phrase of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Once again, the first part, we see a hunger for personal righteousness and purity. A passion for purity. Lead us not into temptation. And in this experience, you're actually going to do this in a huddle group in just a minute. Um, And I'm going to ask you to pray for each other. It's interesting, prayer is actually a protection against temptation. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went off to pray, came back and found his disciples? And he said, couldn't you stay awake and pray? Pray, he said, so that you can be strengthened against temptation. For the spirit is strong, but the body is weak. Prayer is a powerful tool against our temptations. But there's more in this final phrase than, um, than just praying for our own Um, passion for for purity and holiness, and that is deliver us from the evil one. Jesus wants us this to be a part of the template of our daily prayer that we would become aware we really are involved in a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual war, and I mean, just look at current events, right? How can you not see that there is a spiritual battle across the face of of the earth. And Jesus wants us to every day pray that we might be kept safe in that spiritual warfare that's going on. So um, so yesterday, um, Christian Formation core team met, um, and, um, and an illustration of this came up that was, I thought was so good that I actually, I asked Johnny Wu if I could use this. Um, if you know Johnny Wu, um, if you know him well, he's volunteered to become trained as a speaker for Route 1 Ministries. Route 1 Ministry is a ministry that's trying to combat human trafficking in and around Boston. And he's volunteered and is being trained to go out to churches and other groups and talk about the sex trafficking industry in Boston. And, um, and as we met yesterday, he, he just shared that, that the more he's learning about it, the more angry it's making him, which I think is probably righteous indignation. That is the anger that God has against human trafficking. But then he said that he's noticed that that anger gets so intense sometimes that it starts to wash over to other places where it's not supposed to be. And that has the fingerprint of Satan all over. Satan loves to take anything good that he can find in us and twist it just a little bit so that he can discourage us, 
so he can defeat us, so he can weaken us, so we do not do the mission that God has given us to live in our lives. And to wander around through our lives without an awareness that there is a spiritual battle, that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour, is absolute foolishness for the followers of Jesus. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth, and he is targeting you. And here's the thing. He's going to target you even more when you more fully commit to the mission and vision of God in your life. So Jesus says this has to be part of the template of our daily prayer that we would pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So this experiential, I want you to huddle back with your group of three or four, and those of you who can't count five, um, I want you to, to return there, and here's what I'd like you to do. Pray for a greater passion for personal and pray for Cornerstone's community, communal passion for purity and holiness and righteousness. That's the first part. Second part, I'd like you to pray for protection in the spiritual battle for the other people who you're praying with. And I can give you like four minutes on this one, so it won't be quite as rushed. Um, I'll call you back when we're done. So find your huddle group again, and the instructions are here um, on the screen.
About one more minute. All right. Have any of you, raise your hand if you've read the devotional book, My Utmost for His Highest. Has anybody read that? Okay. I'm, I'm proud of you guys who have read it. It's, one, it's clearly one of the top ten Christian devotional writings of all time. So it's on the list of, of um, devotional books that you should read at some point in your life. The man who wrote it is Oswald Chambers, and he says, The prayer of the feeblest saint on earth who lives in the spirit and keeps right with God is a terror to Satan. The very powers of darkness are paralyzed by prayer. What if we were more committed to troubleshoot our prayer lives than we were to troubleshoot when our phones don't work? What if we couldn't stand to be without powerful prayer in our lives? And I actually mentioned this yesterday in the meeting, but the more I think about it, the more I want one of you to develop a pokey prayer app for our phones where you can go and evolve and capture prayer requests and fight battles, right? I mean... Maybe we could kind of marry those things together and get some power in our prayers because we're so addicted to our phones. But what if we cared more about our prayers than our phones? And, and in just five verses, and in the English Standard Version, 56 words, Jesus has given us the divine template for powerful prayer. And we've been calling this series the greatest sermon ever, pre- ever preached. This is the greatest teaching on prayer the world has ever known. And so um, there's a pastor by the name of Philip Brooks who was actually the founding pastor. You know Trinity Church down in Copley Square across from the library? Philip Brooks was the founding pastor of Trinity Church. And this is what he said. He said, if man is man and God is God, to live without powerful prayer is not merely an awful thing. It is an infinitely foolish thing. It's infinitely foolish for us to live without powerful prayers. So let's stand together and let's recite the Lord's Prayer, but not as a one and done. Let's recite it as a a tool to remember the template that Jesus would have for us in our daily prayers. So let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us his. Give us our debts.
Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Father in heaven, well, first of all, Lord Jesus, thank you for this instruction. That has the power to transform everything in our lives and everything in our world. And even just immersing in the Lord's Prayer throughout this week, I've been so reminded that I set my goals so low for my prayers. Would you help us to recover the power that is available in a deep communion with you, our Father in heaven, who is also the most powerful God of the universe. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.